Past Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPielli.com. What the f*** you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f- Put that in. I don't So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, 6-1 to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we've got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Talk about the past, talk about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going into the baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember. It's not a lie. If you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this, he sucks. Well, he is where he's out. That's Brady is out. Look at, look at this. Brady is out. And uh, Dean McMahon. I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. This has been run cleaner than any baseball that was ever put out in the hundred years of the present time. Can you give us just a few basic comments about your feelings on the game? Well, naturally, I feel bad about losing a ball game like that. There's, uh, there's no way you should lose that ball game, and that uh, just doesn't make sense. What's your opinion of Kingman's performance? What's my opinion of Kingman's performance? What the f*** do you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f- Put that in. I don't f- Opinion of his performance? He beat us with three f- home runs. What the f*** do you mean, what is my opinion of his performance? How could you ask me a question like that? What is my opinion of his, of, of his performance? He hit three home runs. I'm f***ed off to lose a f- game and you ask me my opinion of this performance I mean that's a tough question to ask me isn't it what is my opinion of this performance yes it is I asked it and you gave me an answer well I didn't give you a good answer because I'm mad but I mean that wasn't a good question that's a tough question to ask me right now what is my opinion of this performance I mean you want me to tell you what my opinion of this performance is and it just did that's right Guy hits three home runs against us. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. This is John Pielli. And, uh, of course, you heard just now the great Tommy Lasorda. And I want to take a couple minutes to wish him the best. Unfortunately, he, he suffered a heart attack recently and is recovering. Um, wish, wish him the best. Hall of Fame manager for the Dodgers. Honestly, as I was growing up, really one of the real characters of the game. 
excuse me, but the guy also knew what he was doing. I mean, he led some very good Dodger teams in the 70s and 80s and, of course, won a couple World Series there, was the manager of the team that lost in 77 and 78 to the Yankees. And it's kind of a sign how baseball is starting to really pass us by. A guy like Tommy Lasorda getting up there in age. And, listen, I hope the guy lives a long time. And that's why, you know, I say prayers out to his family and everything and wish him the best because he really is one of the better guys in baseball. And, you know, if you're if you're a Dodger fan, if you're a Major League Baseball fan, and you got to see, really, Tommy manage from when he took over, you know, the team from Walter Austin in the 70s, and it seemed like he was going to manage that team forever, taking it into the mid-90s. Uh, really wanted a better, you know, not only on-field managers, but better representations of an organization in the game. And, you know, obviously we wish him the best, wish the best to his family and everything that's going on with uh, Tommy Lasorda. We hope that, you know, we obviously hope that he recovers and hope that he could continue to be an institution, which is what he is. And you remember the guy, here's a guy that would mention whatever player it was, whether it was Steve Garvey, whether it was uh, Daryl Strawberry, whether it was Kirk Gibson. And he would have that, that, uh, <laughs> that description of if I'm going to build a baseball team around one guy, it's going to be this guy. And one time it was Oral Hershiser. One time it was, you know, Rick Monday. You know, it, it was whatever player that he was talking about. But you know, it was Mike Piazza. He, you know, he got, you know, he really got the fans and the team believing in its core players. And there was always a superstar on Tommy Lasorda's team. And I think that's real interesting to look at. Um, you know, great guy in baseball, and like I said, I wish him nothing but the best in his family as he recovers from the heart attack that he suffered recently. But uh, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network, a lot going on in this second hour. And uh, Dan Schlossberger joined us in the first hour, actually brought us some information about uh, a pitcher who is apparently going to make another comeback. And that's 49-year-old Jamie Moyer who signed a deal with the Baltimore Orioles, a tough team to sign with because this is an Oriole team that has overachieved to this point, a team that's right up at the top of the American League East where nobody has expected, and they're hanging in there. And I, I find it very hard for Moyer to be able to join this team and stick because they've gotten some very good starting pitching. I mean, you look at the top of that rotation from Jason Hamill to Chen to even Tommy Hunter, who's pitched well, this team has got a pretty good young rotation. You know, Arietta, and you know, obviously the younger guys that are coming up. Whether it's a Mattis, whether you know some of the other guys end up emerging, but I think this is a team that's going to pretty much stick together, and a team that if they're going to have any chance to compete in the in the American League East, they're going to need their starting pitching to continue to be as good as it's been. And you know, obviously, you know the Orioles have to do what they're doing. Um, to, to continue to compete, it's going to be hard. I mean, it's going to be very hard to see them compete with the you know the team like the Yankees, a team like the Rays, a team like even the Red Sox. And I've, I've written about it. If you check out Bases Empty blog on johnpielli.com, I've written reasons why the Orioles may be starting to turn it around. I, and obviously they've played very well to this point. You know they they have they have overachieved, but I think offensively they have some very good players. You know the, the guy like Adam Jones, a guy like J.J. Hardy, a guy like Nick Markakis, Matt Weeters. They have a very good young core there, and if if they're just getting it going right now, 
then I think it's going to I think they could compete all the way down to it. Um I I don't see why it's not uh you know it it won't happen, but you know everybody has their favorites and whether it's the Yankees, whether it's the Rays who obviously play tonight with Sabathia against Price, which I think will be a very fun game to watch, a very interesting game to watch between the two of those teams. Um you know listen, I I mean you know Yankees and Rays, the cream of that division? Yeah, absolutely. The Yankees are playing much better. They're getting better starting pitching right now. The Rays, I think, you know, a very fundamentally sound team led by their manager. And they've gotten a lot of help from, you know, not only not only their pitching, but they've gotten some surprises offensively. And, you know, like, uh, you know, look, looking into this, you know, I- interesting, you know, and, and very interesting because I think, you know, these teams can can all compete, and they they really can. Um, but the question is, are the Rays and Yankees the cream in that division? And I think a lot is going to have to do with what's going on with, you know, the Yankees. The Yankees have gotten some better pitching lately, and uh, we're going to put that thought on hold. Right now, we're going to be joined by um, SNY.com and WFAN.com. Uh, Correspondent Rich Catino, Rich John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. No problem, John. How are you today? Ah, very good, man. Now the Mets coming off of a win that you know I think it could be debated whether or not it, it was urgent, but certainly a win that you know that makes them a lot you know in a lot better position as they would be had they lost this game. But the Mets coming off a three-one win against the Washington Nationals. First, your thoughts on the game today? Well, I thought it was another. R.A. Dickey extravaganza today. And, and, you know, listen, this is one of the really feel-good stories that I've covered in a long time in baseball. This is a guy that not only had to reinvent himself, but so many things have happened in his life. He he talks about in his book how he was abused as a child. And, 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 you know, for a baseball player to come out and say that, I think, is, is, is extremely courageous. Um, and, and just what he's done on the field. I mean, you look at today. I mean, it looked easy today. That's a good team, the Washington Nationals. It, it, he made it look easy today. And, you know, just to give you some kind of perspective, he's now seven innings short of the Met Club record of consecutive scoreless innings held by Jerry Kuzman. And, and I think when you talk about the kind of pitchers that the Mets have had in their history, that Ari Dickey is, you know, in his next start against the, the Rays, if he throws seven scoreless innings, he's on top of the heap of those pitchers. I mean, it's mind-boggling. But really, what he and Santana have done as a duo have really put the Mets where they are, six games over 500, and in the playoff race, and in the playoff conversation, in the division conversation. And, um, you know, it's been great for the team. Uh, I think the fans are starting to come around to it. I think they've been slowly hopping on the bandwagon. But if the Mets get anything from Chris Young, anything at all, I mean, they could be they could be very, very tough, a very, very tough team to beat. And um, I think they're a legitimate playoff contender right now. Yeah, I, I actually agree with you. I mean, some people may not, but I, I really think that this team, talent-wise, has enough to at least compete. And you know, I think coming into the season, it was it was a lot of people that just said the talent in the division is too much for them. But they've shown up to this point that you know, as much as they fight and claw, you know, they're never out of any game. And their starting pitching has been much better than what people think. And I think if they could get you know a little bit out of some of the players that are injured right now, 
you know, there, there's there's no, I don't think there's a limit to where this team can get to. Well, no question. And I think with the second wild card and the fact that the division is closely bunched together and that everyone in this division has issues, including the Mets. I mean, you look at the you look at the, the Nationals, even the Nationals are in first place. They have some issues. I mean, they're relying on a young player in Bryce Harbor who looks like a very, very good player, but he's still 19 years old, and you don't know how he's going to react as we go down later in the season. Um, they need more offense from Ryan Zimmerman. Their bullpen has some question marks now because Tyler Clippard is closing, and that, that hurts the depth of having him in the eighth inning. So I think there's a bunch of things they have to consider. Certainly the Braves are short of bat in their lineup and obviously um, you know, have not gotten the starting pitching that they would have liked going into the season. The Marlins, I think, have played very well, but again, you know, they have some things that, that could blow up on them. You know, the Heath Bell's been like a lot like Frank Francisco. He's been very inconsistent. Um, so they have some issues as well. Every team in this division has issues. We know the Phillies have a bunch of injury issues as well. But I think the Mets have, have really come to the park every day thinking they're going to win. And I think it all started in spring training when everyone said that they couldn't do anything in this division and that everyone would just would have been much happier if the Mets just went away. And I mean that. I think the media, I think fans, everybody, if the Mets just went away. And you know what? When a bunch of players had more talent in the locker room than people thought, and I said it in spring training, that uh, I thought they were an 83-win team, I might have under, undershot it, actually. But I think that, you know, they have a lot to prove. A lot of guys in that room had a lot to prove. And let's put this all together. Low expectations, some talent in the locker room, a lot to prove. You've just created the building blocks for every great sports story that you've heard. It all started that way with those three things. And I think that, you know, we're not 20 games into the season here. We're one-third into the season. And this Met team has, has proven that they can play with anybody. No, I definitely think they can, and uh, and I, I, you know, I had them around the eighty win mark, and, and like I said, I think I may have undershot it. Um, let, let's get move on to Santana's no hitter. First of all, you know, were, were you at the game the other day when he threw that no hitter? Yeah, yes, I was. And what was your feeling being in attendance at something like that? I mean, that's something obviously you know you, you know it's a you know a, a shot in the dark thing that you could actually be there, but you know what was your, your the feeling? You know the way everything was going at City Field as that no hitter took place. Well, I think that everyone was kind of like in the middle innings was kind of just saying, "Okay, he's not going to have any hits," but you know this is the Mets and the Mets don't get no hitters. And um, I think when Baxter made the catch, I think that everyone in the ballpark, including the media, said to themselves, "This could be the night." You know, you always need to have a play like that in a no hitter. And as Santana's going along, and, you know, some writers are sitting next to me, and one of them says to me, there's no way that Terry's going to let him push the next inning. And I, and I, this was back in the seventh inning. And I turned to him and said, understand this, Johan Santana's making this decision. And I think people have underestimated Johan Santana. It's hard to believe that a two-time signing award winner could be underestimated in New York City. But this guy has the heart of a lion. This guy has the competitive fire of a Michael Jordan. He 
you know, him and I spent a lot of time in spring training, and there was one day when the riders had all left, and Johan and I were talking. We were talking about a bunch of things, John. We were talking about growing up in a big city, and I was, he was talking to me about growing up where he grew up and all the poverty, and and we were talking a little bit about culture, and, and we were talking about food. We were talking about everything. And then the topic came, came to the Mets, and he said to me, I think there's two things people don't understand about me, Rich. One is, I want to win a championship, and I want to do it in this uniform. And I looked at him and I said, you do know that if you pitch well, you know, there's, there's a chance the team might trade you. Now, that's not happening now. He's Absolutely. an immortal Met forever with the no-hitter. But um, he said, I honestly don't want that. I came here to win a championship for the Mets, and I spend every day preparing myself that I can do that. And he said, I didn't say that around everyone else because that's going to sound like bragging, but in this conversation, the only thing I want to do is win a championship. People don't understand that about me. He goes, whenever I get, you know, don't get run support. And I come in and people say, well, you won the game, the team won the game, but you didn't get the win. He goes, I really don't care. And he says, I'm honestly speaking the truth. I care about winning that day because everything is a journey to get to the playoffs. And, you know, if he said that to me, I'm sure he was saying that to a bunch of players in that locker room. Um, I think when all is said and done with Jose, what, what Johan Santana's career as a Met, he will be an all-time Met in in the stratosphere with the Mets that are in the top 10, top 15 in that team, because I think he'll be part of something special. I don't know if it's going to happen this year. It could happen next year. But I think it's going to be very important to have Santana around when Matt Harvey comes here. It's going to be very important to have him when Zach Wheeler comes here, because I think the work ethic that he shows day in and day out proves that he's a winner. And uh, he isn't throwing 94-mile-hour fastball anymore. And you know why he doesn't have to? And, and I saw Pedro Martinez do that late in his career as well. Santana's a lot like Pedro. Smart pitcher, studies hitters, studies film, very prepared. And I think David Wright said it best, John. Other than Tom Seaver, there's nobody more appropriate for what he's gone through to pitch a no-hitter, being the first Met to pitch a no-hitter than Johan Santana. No, absolutely, man. And, and looking back on it, I mean, for everything he went through with the arm problems and stuff like that, the shoulder surgery, I mean, for him, him to be able to do it this year when so many people said he was only going to make 10, 15 starts tops. And I, I actually thought he was going to make more. I'm not going to say that I know everything. I, I obviously don't. But I, I, I saw him pitching close to a full season. I saw it as a very distinct possibility. And I'm sure you felt the same way. This is a guy that did recover from it, actually had a very good spring. He was in midseason form during spring training. So I, I didn't see I, I didn't see him not being able to at least be a good part of his team all season. I watched every one of his bullpens in spring training, and the thing that affected me the most was the command he had of the fastball, the fact that he had the slider early in camp, and the, and the changeup. But I think I learned everything I needed to know about Johan Santana on that autumn day in September in 2008, when the Mets had their season on the line. And a loss could have eliminated them on that Saturday. And he pitched a complete game shutout with a torn meniscus. That's all, that's all I needed to know about Johan Santana. And, and that's why, although I'm elated he got the no-hitter, I'm not surprised he's been successful because, you know, 
getting to know him um, over the last three or four seasons, um, he's always prepared. He's always prepared. And, and I think that's rubbing off on the other guys in that rotation. I don't think there's any question. And another thing that I think is interesting about Santana, and people disagreed with me with this, and I'm sure they disagreed with you too, but I, I really could could have seen, and this is going back, you know, you know, early this season. I could see Santana, the veteran that he is, the you know, the gamer that he is, being a mentor to some of the younger pitchers, such as Harvey and Wheeler and Familia, when they come up. So when people were talking about, hey, you know, they're gonna they're gonna trade him because they don't want to pay him the money. I looked at the other side of it and really saw him as you know the veteran, you know, the the in game type of pitcher that could certainly rub off on the younger pitchers as they come up. Do you know that Mike Pelfrey's ERA is one run lower when Johan Santana was in the rotation than when he wasn't? Wow, I didn't know that. And I think that that speaks to, that split speaks to a guy like Pelfrey, who obviously has talent, but had issues, you know, whether it was licking his fingers or walking or whatever. And I think just, you know, you know, it's the kiss mentality. Keep it stupid. Keep it simple, stupid. Uh, I almost sounded stupid when I said that, but um, I think that there's a lot of that. And Dan Worthen's a very meat and potatoes pitching coach. And, you know, Dan Worthen's a guy that Met fans have been very critical of, and he deserves some credit here, too, uh, for not only what he's done with, um, you know, Santana, but Dickey and Nice and Dylan G um, and. and and Young, to a certain extent, as well. I think if Young gives the Mets what he gave them the other night in Washington, if he gives them that on a consistent basis, boy, the Mets are going to have a pretty good rotation and one that just about every night sends a pitcher out there that you know you have a chance to win with. Yeah, and I, I had mentioned this on one of the other shows. I mean, it's you know, it's you look through baseball, and very few teams have five starting pitchers that you're like, all right, they're going to have a chance to win every single time up. It seems like seems like every team has a hole somewhere in their rotation, and I think honestly, the Mets with Santana and Dickey and Nice, I think they they match up just as well as as, as almost anybody. Yeah, I love when people say, well, your fifth starter has a five ERA. I'm, I'm having my fifth starter. Look at what fifth starter's ERA is around baseball. And you'll see it's around that 4.8 to 5.4 range. That's kind of what it is. But, you know, if you look at what the Mets have, they obviously, you know, have two guys under three in Santana and Dickey. They have a guy teetering around four with Nice and it's probably pitched better than that. Dylan G is about 4.3. And, you know, if Young can give them four a little under, I mean, that's a big advantage. And it's also a big advantage for the bullpen, which is the one aspect of this Met team that I think needs some tweaking. Yeah, no, I agree with you, man. Hey, once again, it's John Pielli, Passball Show. I'm here with Rich Catino. Uh, Rich, when it, when it comes to the Mets' injuries that they've had, right now, you know, Bay is on his way back, you know, whether he plays tomorrow or the next day. Uh, you know, Ruben Tejada had a setback down in, down in uh, the minors. Um, how does this team, you know, end up – Looking once these guys come back, is Bay is Bay going to get it? You know, get really a full time chance to play left field, or does he eventually become a platoon player? Well, I mean, I think it all depends on Bay, but I think initially Terry's going to probably put Bay out there most of the time in left field. I think he's probably going to platoon Newenheis and Torres, and I look for him to platoon Ike Davis with Scott Harrison at least in the short term. Harrison's bat is hot against lefties; you got to get him in there. When the lefty's pitching. Now, this weekend, I believe the Mets see Kuroda use and Pettit. So 
The only lefty is Pettit, and and really righties are at a disadvantage with Pettit because of the cutter. So you almost want to throw some lefties in there because it kind of takes away the cutter a little bit from them, at least to a certain extent. So maybe Ike plays against Pettit, but um, Hanson's going to play when the Mets, you know, face left-handed pitching. He's going to find a way to get him in the lineup, you know, and I think maybe it'll be. You know, maybe due to on the day he'll get a blow, although he's hitting the ball well now. You don't want to get him out of the lineup. But I think that Terry's going to find a way to manage the situation. And the other thing is, fans talk about this stuff all the time, and something always happens that kind of defines it. Another injury or a player gets really hot and you can't take him out of the lineup. And we, we waste countless hours trying to figure out what managers are going to do, and nine times out of the ten, the decision is made for them. Um, so I think that, you know, Terry will find a way to do it, but I think initially um, Bay will be out there. And now the next six games, being in American League Parks, the Mets have a DH, so they can, you know, probably, you know, play some of the guys that I was talking about that were platooning. They could play a Bay and a Hairston, or they can play a Neuenheis and a Torres. Um, you know, they can they could do a, a host of different things with that DH spot. So I think when we get past the race series, I think we'll have a clear definition of where the Mets stand with Jason Bay. And, and you know, this would be a time for him to shine. I mean, if he comes in the lineup and starts hitting, looks like Dude has been hitting, David's doing his stuff, Murphy slowed down a bit. Um, I think he won't stay in a slump too long. He's too good a hitter to stay in a slump. And I think, you know, you start to get the core of that lineup back again, and, you know, that's without Ike. So I think they're in pretty good shape, and these are good problems for a manager to have to decide which outfielders he wants to play. The returning injury guys are the hot replacements. So I think that's a good problem. Yeah, I absolutely agree, man. And uh, one thing I want to ask you, what, Scott Hairston has been on fire this year. He is totally torching left-hand pitching. Um, is this something that he is actually capable of maintaining? I mean, if you look at the career of Scott Harrison, he's been, you know, kind of the role player, the journeyman type of, you know, fourth outfielder bench guy. Is this guy capable of maybe hitting 20 home runs this year? Uh, I mean, he's, he's already got close to 10. What does he got? Uh, he's got eight right now. He's got eight. I mean, it depends on how many bats he gets. But, you know, Harrison's one of these players, I think, that I think if you play him too much, you begin to see slippage. There are reasons guys are bench players. I do think that he provides a spark. And I like not playing him so much because I almost like having that card to pinch hit, like to bring him out at some point in the game. Now, in the American League Parks, that's less of an issue because you don't have to pitch a spot. But there are ways you can get him in there to pinch hit as well. But I think if you play him on a regular basis, you won't see those kind of numbers. I think you're better off kind of playing him in spots. Um, you know, kind of what the Yankees did with, um, you know, when they had Tino and Cecil Fielder and Joe kind of try to pick the hot hand and who we would play here and who we would play there. That's kind of like what Terry's going to have to do with this because especially if Bay isn't hitting, I think you're going to have to mix and match a little bit. And if Bay is hitting, you got some quality bats coming off the bench. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. And I, and I think depth is important. And, you know, this team was criticized, and I, I was certainly involved in it for the lack of depth that they had, you know, coming out of spring training. And it's actually looked like they have, a, you know, they certainly have a little more depth than I think any of us, maybe perhaps for the exception of you, may have thought it. Well, I, and I think the guy that isn't getting the credit and deserves it is Omar Minaya. 
I think that Manaya left this organization in a much better situation than he was given credit for. Um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I hate to get political, but it's kind of like George Bush's presidency, where I think 20 years after his presidency, people will have a much better feeling about George Bush than they did while he was in office. And, and I think there's, there's a lot of that with Omar. I mean, Omar is responsible for Newland Heights, Davis, Tejada, Tolley, uh, Harvey. And these are all, these are all got Baxter. These are all guys that were brought in by Omar Minaya. Now, Give Sandy and his crew credit because they're the ones that have coached these guys through the organization. But to give no credit to Omar Minaya for this is just, it means, it's just, you blindly don't like Omar Minaya. I mean, it's just that simple. And let's remember that Omar is the guy that brought Santana in here, too, and Dickey. So, uh, you know, I think he deserves some credit. I, I, that's why I thought coming into the season the Mets had more depth. Because uh, I felt that every year going into Port St. Lucie, their minor league players were better and better each year. And I felt that again this year. And I'll tell you, I like Harvey a lot, but I, I saw Zach Wheeler down there. Oh, is he the real deal? I, Zach, I mean, I'm no scout, I'm no pitching coach, but. If Zach Wheeler doesn't make it, I'd be very surprised. And it doesn't make it big. Harvey, I still think it's going to be a, th- a three. I-, I don't think he's an ace. Um, but I think Wheeler is. And I think Mejia could be a closer. So I think that, you know, they have talent down there. But I think what is really impressive is guys, guys coming up to helping them like Rotino and Neuenheis and, and Quintanilla. I mean, Everyone they bring up contributes something. Even the other night, Ramirez, you could tell he was gas in the second inning, but he was pretty impressive in that first inning. And I think that, you know, the people the Mets have brought up have performed now. Beato's up now. I mean, if the script keeps going the way it is, I expect Beato to help the team. I expect Mejia to be up here probably sometime around the All-Star break. You know, they have had more depth than people give them credit for, and I think part of that is the organization had more depth because the combination of how Omar left it and the fact that Sandy went out and got some players that he thought could help them, the Chris Youngs of the world, Quintanillas, you know, all the guys that were kind of key to cast-offs, a little older. He partly did it to make the Buffalo team a little better and spike attendance in Buffalo, but I also think he did it so those quadruple-A players can come in and fill in and help the Mets, and they've certainly done all of that this year. Yeah, listen, I mean, like, even in spring training, and I I don't know, maybe you saw it and I didn't, but, uh, you know, I, I actually, I thought this team was missing depth. You know, and, 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 you know, guys like, you know, Baxter and, you know, unfortunately he's hurt and the guys that you mentioned have all really come in and play, played their part. And, you know, it's really worked out exactly the way, you know, perhaps Sandy Alderson planned. And, you know, look at the Phillies. I mean, the Phillies, this is an organization, the Phillies, that have a much higher payroll than the Mets. And, you know, listen, Utley and Howard go down. Those are two serious players. I mean, they're hard to replace. But, Guys have come in, have not really, you know, filled in the mold. Now, Juan Pierre has been good for them, but they haven't gotten the years out of those second-tier players that they need to get. You know, Carlos Ruiz, as good as he's been this year, I mean, he's, he's bad cleanup for the team. Now. Carlos Ruiz shouldn't be bad cleanup. I still think he's a very good clutch hitter, but he's not, shouldn't be your cleanup hitter. 
And I say to myself, and then I look at the Mets with a much lower payroll than the Phillies, who have been able to, you know, make with less. And I think part of the hidden value of this Met roster was that, you know, you had minimum salary at first base, second base, right field. You had a small salary in center. Obviously, you had the big salaries at third and left, small salary behind the plate. And I think the Mets were able to, because you're able to get check marks at those positions with those guys, you were able to, you know, demand less from your depth. And when injuries occurred, it created an opportunity for players. And, you know, as we saw last year with the Mets, injuries created opportunities for both Ruben Tejano and Lucas Duda, and they made the most of it. And But I really think the reason why the depth worked is that, you know, is there a better dollar-for-dollar player in Major League Baseball right now than Ari Dickey? Who basically makes four million and he's got a five million option for next year. I mean, this guy has the most. This guy leads the major leagues and wins. I mean, it it is an it's it's been an amazing story and it all started for me. I felt the worm turning for the Mets the day of the Madoff settlement. That's when I felt everything changed. I, I I said to myself, this cloud is lifted now financially. There's some certainty here. I think the Mets will, you know, things will be different. They brought in the minority owners. They 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 paired off a lot of the debt that they had. They couldn't pair off, not knowing what the Madoff suit would would do. Um, ironically, the Mets and 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 the uh, Urban McCarter now on the same side, trying to get money back for Madoff, the, the victims of the Madoff Ponzi scheme, which is the irony of all ironies. But I think. It kind of everyone was able to take a deep breath, and I, I think the luck turned on that day. When you think of everything that's happened, Santana, the young players coming up and playing well, the kind of start David Wright's been off to, you know, all the things that are going to come from behind wins. The Mets are getting the bounces, you know. Certainly, have a lot of good luck coming to them. They've had their share of bad luck in the last few years. And everyone points to this and that. I point to that moment as the moment in this organization's history where everything changed and like almost like the bad luck went out the back door and now the good luck came in the front door. And I really believe on that day, um, a lot of a lot changed for this organization for the better. I said it then and I believe it now, that that was a symbol that things were changing. Now listen, I, hope, I honestly hope you're right, man. And that, that's a, and actually a good. It would point to a good turning point in the fortune of the franchise. And I hope things, you know, certainly continue to go the way they've gone. Rich, listen, man. I hope uh, hopefully I could get you on, you know, sometime in the near future. I appreciate you having a couple minutes today. No sweat. Anything for you, John. Keep it the good work, my friend. Hey, thanks, man. Okay. Yeah, that was Rich Catino. Yeah, he he, he works for uh, SNY.TV and WFAN.com. Um, we appreciate him having a couple minutes. And he, listen, he made some very good points. I mean, if you look at, you know, you really want to summarize what's going on with the Mets and the Phillies. What If the Phillies had the role players that the Mets have right now, the Phillies would still be in first place. And there's no real doubt about it, you know. And they're really, like, you can't really dispute what's going on with, you know, with the, with, with the Philadelphia Phillies. They have a bunch of key players out. And they really have nobody to replace him. Freddie Galvez has done an okay job at second base, but he's not Chase Utley. 
You know, they're still trying to figure out what's going on at first base. You know, Ty Wigginton has been okay at times. They really haven't had a steady first baseman this year. Left field, Juan Pierre has been very good. But some of the other players, like a Rollins, like a Victorino, like a Polanco, guys that were supposed to step up, haven't. And I think that's really that's really where the difference comes in. That's really where the difference right now between the Mets and the Phillies. And I'll put that thought on hold right now. I'm going to welcome in former Mets pitcher DJ Carrasco. DJ, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Thanks for having a couple minutes today. Yeah, man. Hey, listen, let's start out, man. Uh, what, do, what are you up to nowadays? You, uh, you, you... Man, I'm doing a ton of projects, trying to get done a whole bunch of stuff that I've had uh, to do around the house, man. You know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> so you you, uh, you getting back in the game, man? You going to be pitching again soon? Uh, I don't know, man. I'm enjoying this time off right now. I think I'm going to take a little bit longer just to hang out around the house and see if uh, any other offers come in that I think you know, that I like the sound of, and uh, if they do, then I'll make a decision then. But for right now, I'm enjoying uh, doing the stuff around the house. I had some family come out. My father's out visiting me right now. My uh, my sister's coming up this weekend. And uh, so I, I'm kind of liking this time off that I have right now. <laughs> so we'll see. Yeah, it's a nice, nice little vacation. The summer vacation you're probably yeah. not used to, you know, all the, all the years you pitched. Yeah, I, I think that holds true for a lot of the ball players now. I, I really think that the last time I've had a quote unquote like a kid summer was probably around when I was about ten years old. I can't, I went out to Dallas to visit my uncle and then it just seems like from that after that summer on man it was just baseball and traveling teams and you know, it just never stopped. So it's nice to have barbecues and stuff like that now where you can just hang out. My my wife actually brought home one of those uh you know how you can make your own popsicles, like the little ice trays that you yeah. can put your own. We used to do Kool Aid or whatever it was, but <laughs> so I was like, "Oh my gosh, I haven't seen this thing for years." <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, coming coming into this year, unfortunately, it's been a you know it's been a rough year for you. You know, you as a pro, you had you know some some injuries in spring training. You end up you know starting the season on the disabled list. You come in. You know, what, what's your thoughts coming into the season? Where you're just you, you're just looking to be healthy and just you know expecting to just have, kind of grab a spot in the, in the back of the Mets bullpen? I don't know, man. It seemed like as soon as I got to New York, just things started to fall apart. I had, uh, I mean, I had torn my my intercostal muscle about two weeks before spring training the first year, and I hurt before. I mean, I'd never been on the DL before, and it was just one thing after another. That year, I just my velocity had just dropped, and my movement and my control was bad, and got sent down and came back up and it was just one thing after another. I showed up to spring training ready to go and felt good again. My velocity was starting to creep back up there and I had my late movement. I only got two outings in and then I really, really tweaked my ankle and uh, you know, that whole rehab process was, you know, a little rushed and, you know, I probably wasn't you know, on top of my game as much as I as I as I should have been. But coming in I kinda of felt like, you know, I was on a on a short leash, so to say, and uh and it, it uh, it showed that too, you know. I had a couple outings, and uh, I was gone. So <laughs> for me, I'm I'm kind of glad to get out of there. The New York thing in me just didn't uh, it didn't click too well, and and we'll see what uh, what the future has to offer. Yeah, absolutely, man. Now, listen, now you you don't think you don't think did you think you got a fair shot, you know, in your time here, or did you feel like you were um, you, you kind of had they kind of had you at one foot out the door? Yeah, I think the second year was kind of that. The first year, yeah, I had my fair shot, and I just, I mean, I wasn't me either, so that was kind of, you know, they seen what they see, you know, so it's, you can't really 
sugarcoated. I was horrible the first year. Uh, the second year, I think I only got a few outings. You know, there was there were some times where I felt that I was a little rushed to get back, and uh, you know they needed some help in the bullpen at the time. And and it is what it is. You know, it's just the way a game a game works. And but again, I'm I'm happy to be where I'm at right now, and and I'm not too worried about what had happened in New York. Yeah, you actually seem pretty relaxed now. So I think you know yeah, maybe, maybe maybe this maybe this turns out to be a good thing for you. I think so. I mean, we we had a hard time staying in New York, man. Just the hustle and bustle, and just places to stay, and we had a dog, and you know, finding the whole lease, and it's just it's just another world out there, man. And uh, and I like the chill world, and that's definitely not chill. So uh, again, it's uh, it's welcome to get home and just relax for you know a few weeks and and let my ankle actually heal 100 percent before I you know try and get out there again and and embarrass myself one way or the other, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Now, now look, looking through as as you as you started out, it looks like you kind of broke out with you know with your time with the White Sox as a relief pitcher. Uh, take us back to 2010 when you really had your your best season. It seems like you put really everything together with Pittsburgh and with Arizona. Um, you really you really feel like everything was working for you there, or what was what do you think was the difference between let's say 2010 and maybe like the last two years? Uh, definitely defense behind me. I think I don't think the. Uh, I mean, when you, a lot of the teams that I've looked back and played for, as far as the, the standings for defenses has gone, it's it's indicative of what my success is. That you know, numbers wise on the mound, um, I'm not a guy that's going to strike out a ton of guys. I'm going to throw a lot of strikes with late movement. I'm going to get a lot of full swings with uh, weak contact. Typically, you know, when I'm on my game, and. Uh, a defense behind me that can read that, or, you know, is aggressive on the ball in, or even a smaller park where outfielders play in, and uh, you know, like a lot of that swinging stuff that'll fall in front of them. Typically, if it's over them, it's going to be out of the park anyways, or off the wall. It's not just kind of like no in between with it. <laughs> but I, I think that's what it is. Um, it, you know, if you look at the numbers, the walks and the strikeouts, and and all that kind of stuff is, is pretty much all the same. It's just the result. You know, in the field, that's what I, I really believe. Now, you've always been a pitcher that depends on a ground ball with your, your sinker and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. do, you, do you think you think it's a situation where you're going to be at your best when you have like a solid, you know, infield per se, as opposed to just overall um, defense? I think I think a solid infield and a and an outfield that that uh, is, is is reads the ball really well off the bat because again, I get a lot of balls that fall in front of guys. Not necessarily in the gaps or, or over their head so much. It's and, and my example was in Chicago. I mean, that that field is small. It plays small. Um, guys typically play off the outfield fence, not from the home plate. You know what I mean? If that makes any sense. Uh, when you go to bigger parks, you know, and let's say center field is is 420. Let's say at a huge ballpark or something like that. Those outfielders are going to be however far they feel comfortable from the ball getting over their head, over the you know for a home run. If you're playing a smaller ballpark, let's say you know 390 or something like that, they're already 20 feet closer in because they're still playing what they can go back on a ball and rob a ball for a home run. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah, 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 it does, man. You, so, listen, you, you yeah, need... so that being the case, the balls that fall in now get caught versus in big fields. They're playing back another 10, 15, 20 feet, and the, the ball just falls in front of them. So, I mean, it, uh, to me, there's a lot of those that I've, I just see time after time that'll it'll hurt me a lot. And again, that's not you know because I'm not striking out a lot of guys or or doing those kind of things. You know, I, when when I try and do that, I, I found that I've gotten in trouble a lot. And 
now we're like three one counts, two o oh counts. You know, counts are hitters counts a lot more than here it is, hit it, let me get ahead in the count, and now you're giving me a defensive swing versus you know trying to drive the ball. No, it makes perfect sense. I mean, you honestly, you want you want you want fielders to be in the right place. You know, if you if balls are just you know just dropping in, you'd like them to be either playing in a little closer or maybe the field. You know, you know, making it a little little easier. Hey, DJ, I got I got to ask you, man. You know, towards obviously towards the end of your stay, you know, it was kind of marred by uh, the you know the hit batsman of Ryan Braun. Um, I got I got I got to ask you honestly. Did, did were, you, were you throwing inside? You throwing at him? What what, what happened with that? I'm throwing inside, man. It's like I said before. I mean, there was nothing. It surprised me because I don't, you know, when you've been playing ball this long, typically as soon as the ball leaves your hand, you know what it's going to do, whether you hung a pitch or you bounced it or you threw it too far in or out. And it was it was weird because out of my hand, it felt fine, man. It felt like it was going to be a, a sinker that was in for a strike, and it just kept running in and in and in, and, and it hit the guy. And, you know, I, I don't agree with how, you know, they handle a lot of times. They just kind of act, react versus, you know, think and then make a decision. But, you know, that's what they do, and that's that's how it goes. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, and actually, I actually don't think you're throwing at him either, to be honest with you. No, I, I don't I, I, I mean, I mean it's, just, I got, you know, it's just I, a, it's just a uh, you know, wrong thing happened at the wrong time. You know, home run yeah, happens, you know, the next pitch hits time. somebody. I mean, that game's not that important to me to where I'm going to try to hit somebody because the guy before hit a home run off me. and I mean, that's. That's a pretty childish kind of way to play, I think. I mean, uh, if Ricky Weeks were to, were to pimp it and, you know, do all kinds of crazy stuff, I would look to hit him or I'm going to look to hit the guy behind him. The guy behind him didn't do anything. So and that's not the way I play the game. I don't think, you know, I don't think that's how it should be played. Yeah, absolutely. And another thing that I thought really, I think, worked, you know, towards the advantage, I mean, you, you, you feel about this, is that the, the Brewers aren't a division rival. It's not like you're, you know. It's not like you're playing, you know, the Phillies all the time, and every every hit against you means something. And you know, there's yeah. there's not that rivalry that exists between a team like the Mets and the Brewers who play six games a year. So I, I didn't yeah, I didn't see any animosity really a- anyway. I just think it was an unfortunate thing that you know you happened to strike the batter after a home run, and you know I think the umpire went a little, you know, yeah. went a little overboard with it. I agree. I mean. But you know, every every hit, every run counts, no matter if they're in your division or not. And I think that rivalry thing is more more for the fans than it is the players because you just coming over there, you know, just being a Met. Now you're playing the Phillies. Is you've never been been immersed in that rivalry at all. You know what I mean? So it's it's always the same thing. It's it's a guy that you got to beat up at the plate, regardless. You know, whatever uniform he's wearing, it doesn't really matter to me. I'm just trying to beat him. I'm trying to you know win that at bat, whatever it may be. And he's trying to do the same thing. It, I don't think anybody turns it up anymore just because it's, you know, somebody else out there. You might get a little bit more excited when the fans, you feel that, you know, that energy in the air. But when it comes just to a personal, you know, one-on-one thing, I don't think it changes too much. No, you know what? I definitely agree with you on that one, man. Hey, listen, you, you've, you know, you, you've had a little time as a starting pitcher and you've pitched as a reliever. What do you, what do you enjoy doing more, you know, starting or relieving? I love starting, man. When I was in Kansas City, um, in Japan, I had I had some time starting out there. Uh, I like I like the chess game of starting. I, I really did. Um, you know, you know the, the pacing of yourself and the not showing pitches, all that kind of thinking, kind of you know, for me it was a better thing. And also, you know, out of the pen, I'm not throwing 95, 96. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a, a long man to eat up innings. Um, where as a starter you don't have to throw ninety five, ninety six out of the bullpen. That's typical. That's your prototype nowadays. You know what I mean? You got to come in and just 
being lights out with velocity and just super nasty stuff. And as a starter, you don't have to be. You can locate more. You can change speed. You don't have to have anything super dominant other than just get out and be efficient and get deep into the game. I mean, there's so many different variables you could do to help a team as a starter. You know, I mean, you can do the same as a reliever, but it's just more as, as a starter. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think I think that works that works out better. I mean, you you actually have you know the amount of pitches that you throw, you may actually have more longevity as a starter. You know, you, you talk about you know as a, as a reliever, you know, you talk about the velocity dropping and stuff like that. You know, it's hard to really find a role for you know for somebody like that unless it's at the back of a bullpen. I, I mean, if you, you know, if you get to work yourself, you know, over a course of a hundred pitches through maybe six plus innings, you you get a chance to change speeds more and maybe the opportunity to redefine yourself as a pitcher. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and, and when you don't know your role out of the bullpen, that you know, that's a whole other story. When it's kind of tough to, you know, you're sitting five days at a time, or you know, you're not sure when you're you're going to be throwing, and all of a sudden you get thrown in a situation that you weren't, you know, hadn't been done in, in whatever two three weeks. And there's a lot a lot different mental approach too when you start and you got your five days. You know, every you know you routine every day. You run after you throw. You're going to long toss this day. You're going to lift that day. And I don't. Know, I, I did. I just enjoyed starting a little bit more. And I thought, you know, I helped um, the Royals out that year quite a bit from from doing that. So, yeah, we'll see back, again. I, who knows what the future has to offer, man? <laughs> yeah, looking back at that season, you did kind of you, you did kind of help them out. They had a lot of young pitchers there at the time. Yeah, and, you, know, yeah. I, you know, the twenty starts you made. I mean, you really you really logged some innings, took some pressure off some other guys. Yeah, and I actually yeah. thought it was you know it was an underrated role on that team, though they didn't have that much success. No, we we were pretty bad that year, <laughs> but. <laughs> You know, it's I've had an up and down and in and out roller coaster career, but I mean, we don't have time for that on here. But I've been blessed. You know, God's blessed me immensely, and just the different places I've ended up and the different roles that I've done. I, I never thought it was going to all turn out to this, but it has, and it's it's been a fun ride. You know. And now, looking looking back on your future, I mean, you seem pretty comfortable now. I'm sure you got you do got a little bit of a an itch to kind of get back into the game. I think if you can. Do you have any preference over what kind of team you play for? You 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 definitely want to go to a contender, or would you be happy if there's just another team that wants to take a look at you? You know, obviously, we always want to go to contenders. We always want to be in in the playoffs, and uh, you know, I got a little taste of that with Chicago, and that was always you know that's always something that we want to do. Um, if, again, if the situation is right, I, I would love to go play for somebody. If there's, I mean, I, mean, I kind of played the role of. Uh, of coaching, you know, younger kids when I was with the Diamondbacks and the Pirates, and I didn't mind that at all. That was pretty fun. You got to make some bonds with some of the younger guys that were in the bullpens, and and uh, we still talk nowadays. And uh, so, who knows? I mean, if it's just one of those two situations, if it's you know, one thing I don't think I'm I'm, I'm going to try and do is, is do the whole minor league circuit again. I don't I don't feel comfortable doing that, and I think I'm kind of you know not 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 ready to do that again. You know, if that's the case and. I'll, I'll check out, you know, other alternatives, whether it's overseas or, or, or down in Mexico or, or whatever it might be. If I still decide to, you know, to continue to play, but you know, I'm, I'm having a great time here, hanging out. I got my old Camaro that I need to finish rebuilding. I got a whole bunch of projects that I've accumulated. So I said, you know, when I'm done playing, I'm gonna start some of this stuff, and I got a couple of weeks to do it now, so I'm on it. Well, listen, man. I hope you, I hope you get the chance to come back to the major leagues. I, I think you, you, you did a good job. Unfortunately. Things didn't work out with the Mets, but uh, you know, I, 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 I think there's a future for you. You'd, you'd be able to make it back, hopefully make a good comeback, and you know, look back on your career, you know, maybe a year or two from now, and be kind of, you know, 
kind kind of glad this you know what happened here happened. Yeah, no, I'm not. Believe me, man, I'm not. I'm not worried about it one bit. I'm I'm actually uh, loving it being home right now. Um, you know, there's always that itch to want to compete and play, and uh, it's it's a little easier to not act on it when you know you're still not 100. percent When you you know, and I'm referring kind of to my ankle a little bit there. I'm still. There's still days where it's kind of sore and starts burning and itching and this and that kind of stuff, but I, I'm I, I'm fine with whatever happens here, man. I, I'm at peace with it. I'm not worried about it too much, and I'm enjoying just hanging out. All right, DJ. Listen, thanks a lot for your time, man. I hope I could get you yeah, on the show again soon. It was it was a pleasure Every having time. you. Hope thanks for having me, brother. You take care. Yeah, you too, man. Hope to see you in the major thanks. leagues again soon. Thanks, man. Yeah, no problem, man. It's a uh, former Mets pitcher, DJ Carrasco, joining us for a little bit. And one thing you could tell, which I thought was pretty interesting, and you know, if you're if you're listening, you would have found that, you know, he kind of does have a little, uh, you know, little kind of negativity towards his experience in New York. You know, some some players come into New York and it just it just doesn't work out for him. I think DJ Carrasco was one of those instances where it didn't. And you know, there's a guy who had a couple good years as a reliever, came in with the Mets. Little bit of injury problems last year, and I would have said, you know, you, the last year did not work out. It was not a good season, but you know, yet you had every anticipation and thought that things would have gone a little better this year. And you know, the injury in spring training with the ankle, of course, which DJ told you about, you know, messed up his spring training. You know, ended up you know having him do extended spring and rehab and stuff. And when he comes back, you know, he doesn't really have that long of a leash. And, you know, some fans may criticize, you know, DJ Carrasco for just not pitching that well. I don't I honestly don't think he got he got as much of a chance as some other players did. Look at a guy like Manny Acosta, who pitched very well for the Mets last year. Acosta did a phenomenal job. But this year he was terrible and he, he, he was hung around here. He ended up being a Met probably a lot longer than he deserved. The guy gave up 22 runs in 14 innings. And ends up sticking around, you know, past Carrasco, who was only here for a week or two. And, you know, really ends up, you know, honestly, he, he ended up, he probably cost the more, Mets more games this year than certainly Carrasco did. And certainly a lot of other relievers. So I think that's, you know, one thing people should consider before judging DJ Carrasco. But I want to thank Dan Schlossberg for joining us in the first part of the hour. Rich Catino, uh, DJ Carrasco, great job today. MTR Radio Passball Show. We'll be back next week with another fun-filled show. A lot going on. Stay tuned for Greg Carlucci. He was going to be interviewing Tony Nap Napoli. And we'll let you know about his book. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. John Pielli, see you later. Hey everyone, this is Joe Lamort from ADD Sports Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. We're on 24-7. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MTR Radio. Don't forget to tap that app in the Android market and iPhone App Store. Search MTR Radio on your handheld device. Tap that app. Everybody's doing it. <laughs> MTR Radio. 